It wasn't recording. And I know <laughs> I hit the record button. Well, you know, I'm glad we didn't go all the way into the podcast. Uh, it looked like it, we've done, it wasn't We've recorded. done that sort of once. Yeah, we're really tardy to the party, and we apologize. We had uh, a plan for episode 23. We're weeks late, and just life happened, and... Getting two people together, <laughs> you would think, would think you know, we'd be really live easy. in the same house that <laughs> yeah. it would be easy to get us together to sit down. And there for... was no drama, just you know, busy. being I'll say productive, not busy, productive. Touche, tardy. Man. We're Touché. tardy, but we're not. Even though we're tardy, we are not expired. So finally, what? yes. <laughs> well, well, you know, it was a big delay. I was thinking people might think, oh, did they give up? Did they stop? Oh no. Welcome to episode twenty-three. For Wednesday, April 10th, where we gab about the teaching gap, parent life gap, try to find solutions, learn new things. And here in the kitchen, I'm Dave Crumbine. And right next to him is Aisha Crumbine. Please call in. Please email in. We love your thoughts, your feedback, episode ideas, uh, teachinggab at gmail.com. Thank you to those that have called and emailed. Please keep them coming. You can... Call us when you're driving to work, and uh, that's great. Mm-mm. We can. Mm-mm. Well, phone calls. Focus on the road. Focus on the road. <laughs> phone call. <laughs> we could we could either take the, the the phone calls and put them on live, or we can take your ideas from the phone call if you prefer not to have your voice on the air. Eight three two eight one nine. Five one six six. You would you think a... we'd have that committed to memory by now. Oh, you got the radio voice, so you read the phone number. That's eight three two eight one nine. You know, it's on your computer. Right five there. one six. But I have to scroll up, and I have orange on my fingers. <laughs> they they Thank lost you. the last four digits. Oh my gosh, eight three two eight one nine five one six six. Teachinggab at gmail dot com. The ever so exciting testing season. Yay. No one likes testing season. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's someone that gets excited somewhere. No, I don't know about, about that it. one. So for the teachers out there who are nail-biting and not loving the idea of testing, I mean, I think part of it seems to be this fear that, you know, I'm going to be judged as a teacher. I think that's worth diving into a little bit later, too. Well, not even, or, like, that's one part, but the other part is, like, we just have to sit in these seats <laughs> all day. And just watch children sit in seats and take tests. Like, no part of that sounds like fun. Parents who uh, don't have that direct connection to the classroom, if you're wondering, you are not allowed on your, as a public school teacher, for the standardized tests that are around this time of the year, you're allowed no phone, no Book. fancy watch, yeah, no articles, um, you are literally, you're just supposed to sit and lifeguard, like, left to right, scan the classroom. And you're actually not allowed to uh, sit the whole time. Oh. Yeah. You're consistently mm-hmm. monitoring and walking and more monitoring and walking. There's just not that much monitoring in the world. Anyway. There's no one to talk to. I always like the hallway duty. Because in the hallway duty, I could talk to the other person who had hallway duty. Or you could read a book or something. You could, yeah, yeah. So all that to say, testing is probably everybody's, you know, in the top three least favorite times during the school year. And so we wanted to um, talk a little bit about what you can do as a teacher, what you can do as a parent to make this time of year a little less bleh. 
it's, it'll feel more like a teacher slanted episode. I think as a parent, hearing some of these ideas might give you thoughts for your own child. I often would remember a parent saying, I want to get ideas. How can I help my child? How can I help my child? So I think a lot of these things will translate. Um, we're going to do a top 10 David Letterman style, yep. which those are always fun. So this is in, for those unfamiliar, um, also known as the young people in the crowd, starts at David Letterman. number 10, which means <laughs> not necessarily least important. All Everything's important yeah. that's on the list, but it would say this does go in sequence up to number one, which is the, the key one. Yep. 10, dive right into it. Yeah, go for it. Say so ten um, is I would I would teach the kids to go backwards. So if it's if question forty three is the last question, there was a point at which they did put the harder questions at the end. You know, it's not designed <laughs> to make the kids successful. Uh, I've never quite understood why it's designed the other way, but it's pretty obvious it's not designed to uh, turn everyone into an A student. So. That being said, if they start backwards and make question number one be question number 44, I always felt like there was a psychological helpful game that they're playing in their head when they do that because they they end up feeling like they're not, I can't put it into words, like they're not following the order intended and so it kind of wakes them up a little bit. So let me ask you, is, does this apply, like, is there a particular age group that this applies to? Because I can imagine some teachers are out Freaking there like, out. Yeah. don't you dare tell these people that these kids need to start backwards. We need to do it the way we've done it in class. Don't be trying anything new on the day of the test. Like, like I think as a teacher, if I heard that, I'd be like, oh, uh-uh, I'm, no. So I, I, I started that with fourth grade and then continued that with fifth on up. Um, Maybe that would really rattle kids that are lower. I mean, you definitely need to teach if you're going to start on question 44. You got to really look at that Scantron bubble in sheet and make yeah. sure you're filling it in on 44. Yeah. Number nine. Well, I guess the last thing on 10 is kids would get mildly excited. To be doing something. And it was their choice, by the way. This is not like a... Mandated. Right? And, and so then I think for kids that like a different approach, it kind of wakens up the process, mm. which is not so... Uh, number nine, um, stare up or down when you're taking a mental break. There sort of seems to be this, you must always look at the test. And then, of course, they need to take breaks, mental breaks, but you don't want those eyes wandering left and right. Yeah. And so it, it, I think it encourages a mental break when you tell them how to take that break yeah. when they want to. Because if you just say, if you'll never teach them how to take a mental break, they're going to probably too late and then maybe in a way you don't want them to yeah and they'll get antsy right and then or they'll put their head down and that just that causes all kinds of like oh they're sleeping or they're not focusing or what no so i i definitely think that the whole like something or and take breaths right like take some deep breaths like if you get to a place in the test and you're just like tired of looking at it do what we do as adults we close our eyes we take a few deep breaths we reset, and then we go back to it. And just as an overview, these are things that I, that really seem to work. Like if you take all ten of them together, there's such an approach to you got to figure out that the answer is C. But I think when you step back and like, well, great, how do you teach that to kids? Um, using these ha have been really helpful. Number eight would be 
This is where it's starting to get pretty important. <laughs> so number eight, like leave, leave those hard questions alone. You only have so much mental energy when you're taking a test. Parents, this is a huge one to teach your children. If you get to question 12 and it's really hard and you just keep battling and battling question 12, you're decreasing energy, you're increasing anxiety. Yeah. You come back to question 12 at the end and you really can approach it yeah, you've gone through the, te- the test, you're, you're tired from that, but you can approach it in a, in a much less anxious, freak-out mode. And I think in that sense, it's easier to answer question 12 when you're not worried. Yeah. All right, let's see. Where were we? Number what? Eight. That was eight, right? Okay, so yeah. seven. Huge, 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 huge. Okay, math teachers. Like, <laughs> if this is obvious to you, great. Just bear with me for a few seconds. Any teaching math, and like I have, I have absolutely seen teachers, and they will not have the kids translate the word problem, in in to, in having the kids put it into their own words. There's a big emphasis on highlighting, and, and and I believe in highlighting. I'll come back to that in the reading portion in a second for those that are doing reading, but like highlighting can turn into just sort of underlying everything, everything or or <laughs> even just eighty percent, which I think is just as bad as everything. If, they, if it says the train left at 2.13 going from New York to Miami, well, then have parents, and, and encourage this one, parents, teachers, obviously, so have them draw a train, not, <laughs> you have to tell the not artist. Intricate, artist yeah, yeah, not intricate, right? not an intricate drawing. So draw the train with a dot and then put an NY for New York. You don't even need to write it all out. And then have that line going to Miami and put the time next to New York. Like You can see what's happening here. You're starting to put it in your own words, it was the best advice that my seventh grade math teacher ever gave me when diving into algebra. And so it's like critical that you teach your kids to do that because then when they go back to attack the problem, it's in a form they understand because they created it in a way that their brain makes sense. Just highlighting words and then going back to words that are not their words, like that is not enough to decrease any kind of anxiety and a lot of part of this testing is decreasing anxiety um, reading teachers similarly for the love of reading please teach them how to highlight which means i would even do things where i would set up these fun challenges with the kids and say all right i'm going to highlight this paragraph with you and we're going to highlight with me great but on paragraph two I'm going to highlight what only the key words that I think are critical after showing you why my think aloud of why I picked these words in paragraph one. And in paragraph two that we all have or practicing, I'm then going to tell you the number of words I highlighted in that paragraph. So let's say it's seven. Mm -hmm. If you can figure out within two words in your groups of two to three, (laughs) if you can figure out within two words my seven Everyone in that group gets blank. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know, piece of candy, a point system, whatever. Everyone's got knows how to do it for their class. Oh, they would go nuts to try it. They were debating, like, no, you can't underline this word because it's not as relevant as this idea. So what was happening was they didn't understand that they were getting super excited, passionate, focused about the thing that tends to bore them to tears. And then their skill is growing. They're, and then they, when I go and re- reveal the seven words, and, and they're like, 
oh, and they're getting it right, or even if they're getting it wrong, it's a huge learning process for how to highlight. So when it comes time for testing, you've done that a few times, they're so much more prepared. That was uh, seven. seven, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Take a quick break for sponsors and come back to number six, or should I go do six yeah, first? Yeah, do six, I'll and then half the and half, okay, yeah. Six. Study Island, which is very simple. I don't even need to put this in the show notes. Studyisland.com. Uh, there are thousands of workbooks and practice tests and buddy, buddy, buddy. Studyisland.com, which as I recall is not super expensive. Well, I know schools will pay for this because it's like you go to your principal and say, I've got this website, which is great for getting kids ready for a test. They'll huge smile on their face. Um, and it, it, it takes condensed versions of the different types of tests and lets kids do practices with them, mini assessments, and it lets you really quickly determine progress without killing a kid by putting him through a 50-question test every two weeks. And then you can really narrow down who's struggling, who's not, and then have them practice that. Um, and that, that I really felt that made a huge difference. Number five, I feel like we're going fast. But this is why it's good. Got a question on this stuff? Please email in, feel free. And number five, so testing is really boring, but that doesn't mean the preparation has to be. Now, I touched on this in some of the original, or the first um, 10 through 6. Two kind of neat ways to do it. We already mentioned the, or, well, I guess I mentioned one already, the two to three teams mm -hmm. concept, two to three kids in a team. Other one is give them the passage or the word problem or the math problem or the science problem from a previous release test is, is really good because it's authentic. And then give them the questions, but they have to create the answers. Because well, if they kids have, love that. Because then they have to like try to trip each other up. Right. Like so. they're trying to create the answer that they think a kid would typically choose. Yeah. And the closer you can get them to doing that, they're now starting to think like a test taker more they can think like a test taker, the easier. And, 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 and I know I keep saying this, but it's critical, the less intimidating the, the yeah. test is. Um, that's a neat one, too, that you can do in teams or, or, or solo if you, if you prefer. Um, number four is uh, do the complete opposite of sitting down for four and a half hours, five hours. So we would get down and, and we would do these on practice day. Of the, what are they called? The practice test days? I forgot. It's uh, Benchmark. Thank you. <laughs> Benchmark days. And uh, go work out. So take out a Sean T video, a snippet of Insanity, T25, T Transform 20. Or just something. Something. Like YouTube. Mean, it, it just get be, something off of YouTube. Off YouTube, yeah. like whatever. Like get a workout. And, and that, that does not mean you've become a coach and a drill sergeant. It means... You show up in your workout clothes that day, and I don't care if you're going to do a single jumping jack in there, if you're going to just lift your arms up to the sky once, like one rep to their 15, you're still doing it with them, yeah. and you're, you're willing to move around a little bit with them. Um, and, I, and I think this works for either parents or teachers. Like if you have your kid in a school and you're like, yeah, right, they're not going to have them running around the morning of, <laughs> the alternative is like, 
that morning, like play some music in the house and have a dance party and just like elevate the joy in the day to get their brains going. Um, like there's some research that shows like once you exercise, you can think more clearly. So, you know, have your kids run around outside for a little bit or drop them off at school a little bit early and, you know, just do something physical with them to get their jitters out and to get their brains charged and ready for learning. And if you are a teacher, then, you know, I don't, I know you got to ask permission for all that and nobody wants to do anything different in testing situations. Um, but on those benchmark days, have the kids stand up and take some deep breaths, do some yoga, some jumping jacks, some high knees in place, like something just to get them plugged in and charged and ready for the day. Bring them in a small group. Sorry, that would be a large group. Bring them in a large group at the end of the workout. And then the two pieces that are great advice is one, you've already done the work. The work is not today of the test. All of the hard work is the preparation. Today is just you let it happen. You yeah. just let it go. You let it flow. And your only job is to do your best, which doesn't mean getting 100%. doesn't even mean getting a 90%. But it, are you really going to give your best? Is what, what is, that's what's expected of you, and that's why we put in the work for this. And you don't want anyone to show or any testing organization to be able to say that you didn't do your best, and this is your chance to prove them that, that you can do that. Um, similarly, so this is number four. Um, oh, that was number four. Yeah, the workout. <clears throat> number three and four, I'm going to do a quick merge. For number three, it's tutoring, but tutoring in small groups. Figure out whether you use Study Island or something else, who needs the extra love, and, and it's that simple. You just have to put in the time, whether it's before school, during school, uh, outside of the classroom, after school, like put in the time with the kids that are struggling. And it really doesn't work very well to do you and 32 kids. That's not really tutoring. That would only kind of work if you took the really high achievers who wanted to help and come in and buddy up to be a tutor for a tutory. That, that can be very, very effective. If it's going to be just you and others, like it better to have three rotations of like six or seven kids rather than trying to take six times three and put 18 with you at once. They need that individual time to hone in. Okay, you pick C, walk me through your thinking on, on why you pick C for this one versus just telling them why C is wrong. Um, that's gonna, that I would say was one of the most effective things I ever saw in terms of growth of the kids who struggled. I, mean, I said I was merging it with the workout thing because I felt like for confidence it was really cool. I would say, hey, my tutorees line up and the kids who were not my tutorees at the end of the workout, after our large group meeting, would, would, they would go down the line like a sports team and high five all the tutorees, encouraging them, today you got it, you can do this. And they, they kind of felt like they were a small group. Uh, together, especially when the entire rest of the class is high-fiving them, they know they put that extra time in um, for tutoring. And I think from a culture perspective, a motivation perspective, chemistry, encouraging self-confidence, it's all really a good thing to do. Number two and one. So this is where it's getting heavy importance. So for number two, um, it can, I know this is easier said than done, and this is provocative. Not all teachers agreed with me. Um, but I think the results are in the, the scoreboard and, I, and that makes it worth it saying this 
is that this can't, the test can't ever feel like the most important thing you're trying to prepare them for. And if it becomes where they get the sense that you think this is the most important thing out there, one, if that, that sends the wrong message because it implies that the value that they are as a person comes down to a test score. Mm. And I think that's a scary thing that teachers don't ever intentionally want to do. But any quality teacher knows that it doesn't come down to what you're trying to do. It comes down to what you're actually doing. And it's critical that the message, even if it's subconscious, indirect, can never be this is the most important part of your, of your school year with me as your teacher. Is it important? Sure. But ultimately, who you are as a human being is what I care about the most. And that does come along with academics. That does come along, that does come along with rigor. But it can't come along with the fact that either you get a 95 or your value as a human being um, is a reflection of your score. And you know what? I'm, I'm like listening to you and I'm like, this is exactly what, what makes teachers feel at dis, like uncomfortable about accountability, right? Like teachers are like, well, if, if my value as a teacher is based solely on how my kids do on this test, then I don't feel like you value me. I don't feel like you value the work that I do day in and day out and who I am as a person with my kids. When in reality, if you, or when you are a human with your kids, when you are engaged with them and you are doing great lessons and they are learning throughout the year, this test is just a test. Like your kids feel that way too. So it really is the more you emphasize what happens the, the other 179 days in your classroom and what kind of person you are with your kids and how much you push them to think and to process, not because there's this test at the end of the year, but because you want them to grow their brains, um, that'll show up. And on the inverse, if you are a test drill sergeant 178 days of the year and they take this test, like they are not necessarily going to show up for you in the way that they would um, if you had seen them and, you know, valued them in the same way that you don't show up really as a teacher when you don't feel like your principal or your district values you. So this whole it not being about the test um, is really important, I think. Yet they're still a number one. <laughs> I know I wouldn't be able to get away with that one. It's for number two. That's what okay. I was thinking. Even yeah. though I think in my heart that's probably that's really number, number one. one. Yeah. So number one and the drum roll is done. Number one would be, for the love of teaching, please, you're teaching readers. You're not teaching reading testers. You're teaching scientists. You're not teaching, sci teaching science testers. You're teaching mathematicians. You're not teaching math testers. And so, I say this yeah, not say so much on the idea of what we just made as, as critical number two, but more so that that I felt was the way that the kid, that was the reason the test scores were as high as they were. Because ultimately, if they are really strong readers, just the reading test, test isn't easy. It definitely is stuff. I mean, I, I took tests, I'd get like one wrong. Of course, I'd disagree with the answer, but um, <laughs> it's like, well, it depends how you interpret it. Okay, so, but it's like, you know, if they really understand the concepts of science, 
not because you taught it through a test, but because they've done labs that like fascinate them as a scientist does experiments. If they are approaching math, which is there every day, surrounded by math, are your kids doing workbook sheets of math? Because I do math as, a, as an adult constantly, and I'm thinking percentages, and I'm like running measurements through of buildings, and what's the interest rate, and how that's going to affect a loan, and then how much would I have to put down? I mean, I, I'm, there's, and I love it because there's a purpose to the numbers that I'm doing. Is there a purpose to the numbers your kids are doing? Or are they doing because it's number 14 on page 13? Yeah. Like, is there a purpose? Like, is it, do they have to accomplish something that seems like it's worth their time? Or is it, why have you not done number 13 yet? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with a really good approach to math of workbooks as long as that's not your only approach. So teach the mathematician. I love math and I'm surrounded by it. And if I couldn't do the math that I do, I literally wouldn't be able to do the, the, the job and different things that I'm trying to accomplish. And I would, I, would, I would be saddened by that. And yet I feel like kids are often shoved into you know, the square and the round peg of not the kids and the teachers not realizing there's an opportunity out there to be a really... I mean, who doesn't love something really fascinating to read? And there's not a kid in the world that doesn't enjoy something. Oh, no, that's not true. I know kids who don't like to read. Really? Because that same kid is, like, texting for four hours a day, and that's all reading. So, like, there's something the kid likes. You just need to find it and teach that reader. You know, it's interesting because I, I think one of the things when we had kids, I was like, I want our kids to feel like learning is just what we do. Like, growing our brains is just what we do, that we don't learn as a means to an end. Um, this notion that like we are learning this as a means to getting a grade on a test or as a means to you know hitting this benchmark that that we live every day growing our brains because there's so much we don't know and it's cool to learn new things right and then you approach it that way where there's just so much out there to learn and we're gonna learn it and it's gonna be awesome feels very different from learn this so you can do that problem. Um, because then kids start to think, think that learning only happens in school. And it only happens with worksheets and it only happens with textbooks when in fact learning happens everywhere. And we talk about being lifelong learners, but it gets kind of jargony, right? In, in education space, well, we're, we're all raising lifelong learners. What exactly does that mean if not we are raising kids to think and to process and to pay attention to their world around it and make sense of it. And, and sometimes that just can't happen when the end you're trying to get them to is an exam. Filter you can use is how much of an emotional connection do the kids have to what they're learning? Do they feel like, is there literally an emotional interest connection to that math, to that science, to the history, whatever it is, because it's so clear, study after study, and anecdotally, if you ask any strong teacher, that kids are going to connect, their motivation's going to be higher, and they're going to remember the material if they feel that emotional connection to whatever they're learning. And if they feel an emotional connection to you. Yeah. 
But that's a whole different that's episode. A whole, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> before we wrap this up this is our outro i was about to start like dancing it's an outro it's an outro it's a... i don't get that I don't, I don't either but sometimes music just plays in my head i don't have a have to remember have a in the past when you had the uh you would wake up in the morning this stops you would wake up in the and morning and have a song and you have a song in your head yeah. and i called you like a walking jukebox i was like yeah. i don't i can't you know remember what's the funny? words to any song so here's what's funny is i will be in a in a meeting and somebody will say something and my mind will immediately go to a song that has that word in oh. it yeah it's really but it's it's like great i love music I, I, you love music but you love music differently from how i love music we, we but we <laughs> we both love music though this morning's music was Moana. That we we <laughs> we turn that on. I, what is it? Shiny. <laughs> yeah, that was this morning, and we have dance parties every day, pretty much. Music's how, a beautiful thing. How about that for an outro? That's a good one. I'm not sure how it connects to testing, but I don't really think it matters that much. Have a testing party. I did try once to try to have music playing. During, of course, they would never Ooh. let me during say no during the benchmark time. I was like, sir, yeah. <laughs> you trying to get I fired? I won once on that on benchmark time. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no wonder the test scores were high. 